0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. And we begin with the first verse today. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread for another friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches find, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer, our light and our life. Amen. So if you want to hear a sermon on the reading from Colossians this morning, I I would encourage you to go to the Facebook page for Peace Lutheran Church and take a look at it. We preached on that uh, reading last night and had a really wonderful baptism, and it was just a good evening all around. But this morning, I wanted to bring a different sermon because I think... Uh, what the Genesis reading has to say is very important for us to consider today. Especially in the world that we live in where the way that people have interpreted the story of Sodom and Gomorrah for the last 150, 170 years or so is one that condemns our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. Um, I hope that I can give you a different way of looking at that story, if that is how you understand that story. And I also uh, hope that as we continue to be the church together, that we can be a force for love in the world rather than one that is hurtful and hateful. So the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Abraham in this cycle if you're not overly familiar with the book of Genesis, one of the things that I find fascinating about it is it has what are called mythic cycles, right? First we get the cycle of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth, those, that first family that God created, the Garden of Eden, the rise and the fall, all those things, right? Creation, temptation, all of that. And then after that story is told, we get into the cycle of Noah, which again, very popular. We know it very well, right? Noah, ark, animals, all the fun nursery stories and picture books and all that stuff. And then after Noah, we start the cycle of the patristics, the fathers, the men specifically, unfortunately, although the women play a very large part in it. Uh, The men who are kind of the fathers of the faith, we get the Abrahamic, Abraham cycle. We get the Jacob cycle. We get the um, Joseph. Joseph is the other one, right? Gosh, I do know my Bible, I promise. Uh, The Joseph cycle, right? We get these mythic stories that kind of tell something about who God is and how God relates to the people that God loves, that God created, that God is working to redeem. And so in each of these cycles, of course, you have the people that the cycles are kind of named for, but then you have these different stories that kind of are interspersed throughout that aren't necessarily specifically about the person that the bigger story is about, but still relate to that story. And that's where we get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where we are in Genesis right now is God just showed up to Abraham and to Sarah, Right? If you remember this, three men show up at Abraham's tent. Abraham goes out to talk with them. We're talking about an old, old Abraham, somewhere probably in his 90s, if not older. Sarah has been barren her whole life, has never conceived a child. And this group of men tells Abraham, Sarah will have a child with you, and from that you will become the father of nations. And Sarah, standing at the flap of the tent, kind of eavesdropping, chuckles a little bit, right? And then God says, Sarah, what are you laughing about? Don't you know who I am? Right? So that's where we are in the story. That literally just happened. And now Abraham is walking down the road, with these three men. And what we're told is that two of the men, they they meet some crossroads. God tells Abraham, this is what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Two of the men go toward Sodom and Gomorrah and then there God and Abraham are speaking. And this wonderful, wonderful back and forth between God and Abraham. God tells Abraham I'm going to destroy these cities because they're evil. And Abraham says, whoa, 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 God, are you sure? And he uses every negotiating tactic in the book, right? Well, God, you know, you're a righteous God, and you're supposed to be the judge of the universe. And if you destroy the righteous as well as the wicked, people are going to hear about that's going to be problematic for you, right? Appealing to God's ego. Well, God, you know, if you're going to save 50, what if there were just five less? I mean, that's not that big of a difference, is it? Appealing to that kind of, yeah, you're right. Numerical, does five really matter in this situation? No, I'll save it for 45. Don't worry about it. And then, of course, I am dust and ashes, and you are the creator of the universe, right? Again, appealing to God's ego, and God's like, oh, yeah, okay, 30, 30 would be fine, right? And finally, this negotiation goes back and forth, and finally, the story ends with God saying, yes, if I can find 10 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy them. And then, again, kind of talking about where we are in the book of Genesis, we get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the one that is famous, right? The two men who had left Abraham and God continue into the city. They go to Lot's house. Lot brings them in, offers them hospitality, and then the people of Sodom and Gomorrah come to Lot's house and try to bang down his door, and I pardon for the fact that this is a graphic story, but they try to rape these two men. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah come and try to do harm to these visitors of lots. And that is usually where people draw the connection to the LGBTQ community. The assumption that men came to have sex with men and that was what was evil. The problem is, there's nowhere in the rest of Scripture that makes that claim. Martin Luther, you've probably heard of him, told us that Scripture interprets Scripture. And there are multiple points where Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned other than in this story. One of the more famous one is in the book of Ezekiel. Right? Ezekiel is talking about the way that the people of God who have been led astray will be destroyed just as Sodom and Gomorrah were. And in that prophecy, Ezekiel says, "You have become selfish. You've become self-centered. You have worried more about your own pleasure than taking care of God's people." And just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is how God will deal with you, right? Nothing about sexuality. It's about hospitality, about caring for God's people. And then even Jesus talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Mentions it, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, if I remember correctly. But says, talking about the end of time, This is how God will deal with the unjust. And again, no mention of sexuality. It's much more about people who choose not to participate in the kingdom of God. I think that's really important for us to hear. Because when this story is told in a lot of churches, it's used to condemn a certain group of people. When in reality, this story is a story that reflects ourselves and our relationship to God to us, right? Because what we see in this story is a number of things. The first one is that God wants to be gracious, right? You know, God could have very easily said, Abraham, shut up. I'm just going to go destroy the city. Right, There's no reason that God needs to entertain Abraham's negotiations. And yet God says, yeah, you're right. If I'm going to claim to be this gracious God, if I'm going to claim to be a righteous ruler, if I'm going to claim to be a fair judge, then I probably should go see. And not only does God want to be gracious, but God chooses to go to sodom and gomorrah god chooses not just to sit aloof out of the world somewhere in the universe and kind of say oh that town over there going to destroy them god in the people that came to visit abraham in these men who go into sodom and gomorrah god chooses to see what is happening God chooses to be in the world where God knows bad things are going to happen, right? And that's a theme that continues. We heard about this guy named Jesus who came to the world and then we killed him, right? Yeah, good. Okay. I liked the chuckles. Um, but God wants to be close to God's people. God wants to give God's people A chance. And that's really, really important for us to hear because as much as we want to be counted within the 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 45 or 50 righteous people, we have been told and we understand that when push comes to shove, we're probably counted in the unrighteous if we are to truly balance the scales and look at where we measure up in the eyes of God, we probably don't quite make the grade. And yet that's the good news of this story. Because God has chosen not only to come be with us, to come be with us in the person of Christ, to continue to breathe into us through the Spirit. God chooses to be here with each and every one of us when we're gathered in community and when we're alone, When whatever we are doing when we are alone. God chooses to be close. God chooses grace. God chooses love and says Those sins, I'm not going to count them against you. And I am actually going to reference the Colossians reading just a little bit because I think this brings home the point, right? Paul talks about the expectations of the world, the ways that we live, the laws that we try to abide by, they were nailed up on the cross with Christ. And we're no longer, well, we still want to be good people. But our salvation is not hinged on whether we are good or bad. Our salvation is hinged on the promise of God that God gave through Christ and that God will be with us, will continue to respond to us, that like the good father mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, God will provide all that we need in the Spirit. So as you hear these stories... As the way that these stories are interpreted in our general culture continue as they will, there's nothing that we can do about how people interpret stories. I hope that you have heard maybe a different way of hearing this story this morning, and that you can remember that it's the grace, the love, the peace that God brings that pulls us together and makes us one in the body of Christ. Amen.